All right, Heather, sing me a song yes. that makes you think of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, um, oh man, there's a few. Now I'm trying to think of the, um, I, I know man now i can't remember the words so hold on let me think. there is one correct song and that is it it's probably the one i'm thinking of but i can't think of any words other than the main words um what are the main words funky cold medina all right now sing the rest of it i don't know the rest of it that's what i was saying i couldn't remember any of the other words all right no um, points then uh, was that the right answer, though? It is. Funky Cold Medina yes. is the correct answer. But you get no points for it. Man. Because all I could think of is Holt saying Funky Cold Medina. And that's the only... And, like, I know the beat in my head, but literally no other words follow in my head for that. But I am proud of myself that I got the correct song. But you got no points, so it doesn't matter. I'm giving myself nope. a victory point. Nope, you get no points. You get minus one point because you have the audacity to say that. Uh, I don't know why one. you hate yourself so much that you intentionally attack the gaming gods and get points taken away on a constant basis. You, I'm not saying it was you, like you our try, points. You try to skate the rules. And all these things, no. and it, you just get you know repercussions left and right. See, I wasn't saying like our points, like my own score in my own head that counts for nothing. No, that's what it's going. You towards. worded it. You said victory points, not mental points. Nothing. You said victory points. You attacked the system. Oh boy. I mean, there were a couple of songs you could have chosen from, so. But that's the only I'm correct one. I'm so happy one. I knew which one it was. Because you don't work with Jake Peralta for all those years and not know the funky Colt Medina. <laughs> so it's the only this correct answer. So. That's how it is. Here's our theme Fine. song. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by just Heather, since Justin hasn't watched this stuff. Um, We will be kind of doing a retrospective and season eight review of the TV show Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We will talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between. But because this is a little different of an episode, the format won't be quite the same. So just expect spoilers throughout just because of how we're going to talk about it. So with that, Heather, start us off by telling us kind of like your history 
with Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Well, the first time I ever watched it was probably about maybe five years ago. Um, I was hanging out at my friend Lauren's house and uh, a couple of us were just trying to find something to do for the afternoon. And she had told me like, Hey, have you ever seen this show, Brooklyn nine, nine, which I hadn't, um, I had heard of it, but never saw it. So we put on a few episodes and that was the first time I ever watched like maybe two or three episodes and it was fine, but I think it was one of those situations where, I mean, the jokes stand alone were pretty funny. Um, and I mean, I even remember the specific scenes that I was watching from it that I was like, this is pretty funny. Uh, but definitely didn't fully grasp how good and how funny the show was until I would say probably last year. Um, and it was actually you had talked about it several times on episodes here and otherwise. And yeah, I just remember being like, I guess maybe I should give it another shot, you know, cause you had really put it up there on that, on that level of goodness as far as like comedy shows go. So, um, yeah. So I was just like, okay, maybe I'll give it another try. So you're actually the one that had me thinking I need to start from the beginning and just check the whole thing out. And I definitely knocked out the entire show easily within like a month or something. I don't even know. It was like the fastest you could get through a show. And it was on, I think it had just finished season six um, whenever I started watching it. So I pretty much blew through all six seasons of it within a couple of weeks or maybe a month at the most. But I think it was at least a couple of weeks. I mean, they're shorter episodes, so it's kind of easier to get through them that way. But yeah, and then it kind of sucked because I was like, man, now I have to actually wait for new episodes every week, which kind of sucks. But it was so good. Like once you've watched the first or the first few, you're like, yeah, this is just really good comedy. So I'm glad that I gave it another shot and started from the beginning so that I knew a little bit more context of what was happening and was able to just fully appreciate the show um, fully. So yeah, that's my history with it. Um, Just like you, I did not start with this show from the beginning. I got into it because I just kept seeing clips here and there. And I just got curious especially because some a lot of these clips were yeah. from uh from the heist episodes and stuff like that. And so I was mm-hmm. just curious. And so one day I just said fuck it and um just started watching it cuz it was on Hulu. And yeah, I was kind of like hooked immediately. Like Within the first few episodes of it, I was hooked. And, I mean, I didn't take, like, no month to catch up. Now, granted, I didn't have as much to catch up on as you did, but I think I'd watched the first five seasons in about a week. They're like little half-hour episodes. It's very easy to watch. And before I knew it, I'd watched it all. And before I knew it, I was watching it again. 
waiting on the next season to come out. And yeah, it's totally rewatchable. Yeah. And then from that point on, I think it was seasons. I had started watching it, I think in the middle of season five or something like that. And like season six, seven and eight. Uh, yeah, I watched as they came out. Like it was, what's one of the few shows that I'm like, I cannot wait for the next episode to come out. Like when it was like, you know, waiting weekly and stuff like that. And yeah, it's one of the few shows I'd let myself do that. A lot of shows, even if I like them, I'll wait and just let the whole season come out. I'll buy it on iTunes and then I'll just watch it um, all at once or something like that. But with this show, no, I, I very much bought it on iTunes at the very beginning of the season and would wait for every episode to come out. And then I would just watch them every, you know, every week as they came. Uh, it's one of those shows I like because of how well it adapts. It very much adapts to things and changes in our culture. Uh, it's not afraid to openly acknowledge things that a lot of other shows wouldn't. You know, especially shows about cops. This this show, uh, all the way up until the end, was very willing to call out things that just cop shows would ignore. You know, whether or not it was uh, America's, you know, huge obsession with guns or even um, transphobia in older movies and stuff like that and uh, sexual assault. And it does so in a way. I think the greatest thing about this show is it's able to take serious topics and still add humor to it. Not in a way that would, you know, destroy anything or make fun of anything. Yeah. Take away. Yeah, like an episode about sexual assault. It's still a very funny episode, but they do a very good job of still keeping the serious moments serious and the joke moments jokes. And even when those two elements become very close to each other, you know, it's typically the Andy Samberg character, Peralta, who openly acknowledges several times throughout the series that serious moments are hard for him and by default he'll make a joke you know so they would say something serious and then he would follow it up with a joke and then even comment about how that was inappropriate or something like that or apologize for it because he knows he shouldn't have done that it's just what his body or what his mind automatically does. And so it's able to add humorous elements into stuff whilst keeping the t- overall tone sometimes serious. Uh, it does it a lot in the eighth season because the eighth season, a lot of it does deal with like the aftermaths of something like the George Floyd shooting and policemen, uh, policemen's unions fighting efforts to reform police and all this other stuff. And it takes a lot of those elements at a lot of different times and is willing to be serious. There are even times where Peralta 
and well, just the show in general has those moments where, you know, in shows like this, they typically show the cops as infallible, as they typically always make the right decision. They've, yeah. they never arrest the wrong person, you know, they're always making the right decision and they're, you know, always have the right outcomes. You know, and sometimes it is to a fault. There's an episode early on where Peralta arrests a guy because the guy insults him because he thinks he did the crime. And it's like, well, they can hold yeah. him for, what was it, 42 or 72 hours before they have to release him and all this other stuff. And it just so happens that Peralta during that time is able to come up with the evidence to prove he was right. Now, ideally, that's still a bad situation that shouldn't be done. You know, those laws are in place to make sure that police don't overtly arrest the wrong people or, you know, subject them to, you know, lengthy uh, interrogations or something like that with actually out evidence or without, you know, charges being filed. And in this, they do turn it into a joke. But I will say this, this was very early on, when people didn't give a fuck about a lot of that stuff, or at least not in a mainstream way, you know? It's, it's, you know, you look at that and you look at, like, what Law & Order does half the time, especially SVU, like, you know, as much as they have kind of changed with the times in a lot of their instances, you know, they they still glorify Stabler. Which you look back oh, yeah. on it, Stabler's a fucking terrible cop. He broke the law on a constant basis. But and if I'm viola- mad for a good reason, it's fine. Yeah, and that whole violated thing. constitutional rights left and right. And right. yeah, it's like you said, it was always in the, you know, well, he went that far because he was right and it was the right thing to do to, you know, because of the criminal and all this other stuff. But, you know, in the end, the reason why those rules and regulations exist and why they should be taken so very seriously is because if you do them on criminals and people you think are criminals and you, you take away their rights, what happens if someone ends up thinking you're a criminal? You know, you can sit there and say, well, it wouldn't happen to me. I don't do anything wrong. Yeah, but what if somebody thinks you're a criminal? And then they go to those same extremes. Just because in their eyes you're a criminal. You know, that's why it's, you you can't use the excuse of the overall good or anything like that. Because it's a a lot easier for that to be used in the overall bad of things. You know, the easiest thing to do in our country is to take away rights from criminals. Because we look down upon them. Or we think it's because they've done something wrong that's justified by their rights or something like that have been lessened. And the reason why that's such a bad thing is because those are the easiest people to do it to. Because we feel like they violated the social contract we have as a society and they broke that contract. So why should the rules apply to them anymore and stuff like that? And the reason that that is a, the wrong way of thinking is because if you take away those rights from criminals, it just becomes easier to take them away from you 
Because all they got to do is say you're a criminal or think you're a criminal or any of these multiple things. And then that's when it just becomes a very messed up situation. And they do address a lot of those types of things in the last season of the show. And I, I was kind of grateful for that. I think they could have gone a little further at times, but hey, that's neither here nor there. But, but with this stuff, you know, and the reason why I bring all that up is because the show does something like that, you know, very early on. And that's why it's important to bring that up because this show is at least smart enough and cares enough that they do avoid situations like that later in the show. You know, yeah, they use that episode to make sure that Kid Cudi went to jail. And spoiler alert, that is Kid Cudi in that episode. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they were smart enough to realize later as they're writing that, like, that's not the type of cops they want these characters to be. They don't want them to be the arrest first, ask questions later. Yeah. You know, type of, of cops. But, you know, and that's the good thing about this show, at least, that they do adapt and they do change and they are willing to do so, openly willing to do so, because they cared about these characters and did want them to be what would be considered the good type of cops and stuff. And as troublesome as that type of statement may be, because... And they even talk about this once again in the eighth season that, you know, just saying you're one of the good ones doesn't make you one. And even when you realize saying you're one of the good ones doesn't make you one. And then you double down by saying, no, 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 but you really are one of the good ones. How that just becomes a false sense of reality that that just becomes a mantra to hide behind and to you know, to disguise some of the things you may have done. And so that's at least one of the good things about the show is it does adapt. And then also realized that going into the eighth season, that they completely stopped, rewrote everything for following George Floyd and and the COVID pandemic and stuff. Like, once everything started happening, they realized they needed to change the writing of the show because they realized that having their cops always make the right decision kind of gives that, that falsehood of an idea that cops make the right decisions all the time. That a cop yeah. always arrests the bad guy. That if you're being arrested, you did it. Because they have the evidence. They have everything they need to put you in jail and, you know, and and convict you at trial right then. And frankly, that's just not really the case. That's not really how it works. And so by having cops always, you know, arrest the right people and all this other stuff, like I said, just adds to that fantasy. You know, they're never wrong, you know? And I like the fact that that show realize that that's just kind of what you they did with these characters and instead of just going well we'll keep doing that they go you know what we need to end the show because we don't want to add to that fantasy 
Yeah. But, you know, they didn't want people to hate their characters either. I understand that that's a, that weird tightrope to walk, you know, because you don't want to see characters that you do love constantly make bad policing decisions. Especially right. when policing decisions are something that are more scrutinized in this day and age. So, you yeah. know, I think they made the right decision in the show. And, I mean, I'll say this, they they did hit more serious in this season. This is mm-hmm. probably the most serious season they had, whilst yeah. also trying to, you know, believably or realistically or properly end this show, too. And for the most part, I think they did a really good job of that. You know, some of the moments didn't always hit with it, but it's for the most part, they did a very good job of ending the show, especially whenever you look over all the seasons and stuff like that. And a lot of the reoccurring gags they've had and stuff like that. Whenever it all culminated in the eighth season, I thought they did it very well. But just going over the whole thing, I mean, there's several things, and if you're not familiar with the show, you know, some of these names and things like that will be kind of lost on you. But, like, you know, when you have the heist episodes every season, or you add a Doug Judy episode every season, or, you know, for a few episodes here and there, and then randomly every other season or something like that, you have an Adrian Pimento show up. Those things work so well in the show. Uh, I mean, the one thing I will say is this show is weirdly inconsistent with things. Uh, like the way that they have people show or come up and come and go and stuff like that. But then sometimes they're not there for situations they would have been, you know, like they have, what's her name about Kathy Siegel yeah. or is it Katie Siegel? What's her name? Kathy? Single? Yeah, Kate, uh, Kate, Kate Siegel, I think. Kate Siegel. The mom from Married with Children. Um, she plays Peralta's mom. You know, she's in it for a few Katie, seasons. you're right. It is Katie? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, you know, she's in it for a few, a couple of seasons, for a couple of episodes here and there. And then she disappears. She's not at the wedding. She's not, you know, you don't see her when the child's being born. You don't see her there for the baby shower. You know what I mean? Like it's just very weird that all of a sudden Jake's mom is just gone. Um, it kind of mm-hmm. makes sense with her dad or his dad because his dad is a pilot who wasn't known for always being there, so it would make sense that he would sometimes be gone. You know, you could even have their relationship get fixed, like for the most part that they do, and he just not be able to be somewhere because he is flying. You know. But he's just randomly in and out. Like, he's not there for the wedding, but he is there for the baby shower. You know? Right. And then they do the same thing with Santiago's parents and her brother. Like, she's got seven brothers, but you only see one. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you only ever see one of her brothers. Um, You know, her parents are hit or miss whether or not they're randomly there. You know, but that none of them there are there for the wedding. None of them are there for the baby shower. And so it is kind right. of weird, like when they do stuff like that, 
when they because they do typically get bigger characters or bigger actors to play some of these guest roles. Like I said, we have Katie Siegel, you have Bradley Whitford as his dad, you have uh, what's his name, Jimmy Smith as Santiago's mm-hmm. dad. You, uh, I know her mom from a lot of stuff. I just can't think of the actress's name off the top of my head. You have Lynn Manuel Miranda playing her one, the one brother you see of hers as Lynn Manuel Miranda. Um, even Boyle's dad is a great character actor that's been in a ton of random stuff. You know, most people would probably yeah. know him from uh, Office Space. But, like, it's really funny that his dad is there randomly, but then, like, there are also some very important episodes that you think Boyle's dad would be in that he's not. <laughs> he's mentioned, right. but he's just not there. You know, so it is kind of funny with how some of that stuff works. With how they have these people kind of come and go and stuff like that, but and also even like Terry's wife and kids, like they're not at Jake and Amy's wedding, you know, like they would probably be was because isn't that his um goddaughter? Yeah, his, his one of goddaughter. His goddaughter, right? Yeah, one of them is his goddaughter. Um, it's not Cagney and Lacey; those are the twins. It's the third one, right? I don't mm-hmm. remember her name, huh? Is it Ava? Yes. Uh, it is, right? Yeah. And yeah, he's Ava's, you know, godfather. But like, yeah, Terry's wife isn't even at the wedding. You know, I right. understand that there was some hoopla and stuff like that, but it wouldn't be that hard to hit up, you know, like Terry to hit up his wife or Jake to hit up his dad and or mom and go, hey, we're actually getting married at the police start, you know, station now. Like... <laughs> Right. He could have easily done and that. Didn't didn't Jake? Did he know? Um, did Jake know his half sister at that point, or no? Yes. Like when they got married. Yes, when they got married, he did. They were not yeah, married see, yet. Whenever they met. Um, but then there was multiple half sisters and brothers. He only met the one. Right. But wanted to be in her life more, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they never talked about her again. They never mentioned her again on the show. Uh, That's true. I didn't think about some of that. Yeah. There's tons of little things like that throughout the whole series. Um, in one of the early episodes, Charles has a sister. Mm-hmm. In a flashback, and they get rid of her. Um. You know, so there's yeah, like Genevieve doesn't show up or a lot of stuff. Yeah, Genevieve's gone after like the sixth season. She doesn't show up anymore. Uh, Nicolas randomly shows up. Yeah. Yeah, like why wouldn't Genevieve be at Jake's wedding? Yeah. You know, and it's 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 just one of those things that's just kind of funny how it goes. Like there are also times when Kevin should be around more. You know, mm-hmm. but Kevin's not there. Uh, or Gina's uh, baby and baby daddy. <laughs> yeah. One they of the boils. Never, they never, never explain what happens to Ryan Felipe's boil. You know, she has right. the baby and he's just gone. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, when like Gina leaves, you see her in two more episodes after that. And like the baby's just nowhere near. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just kind of funny how those things happen like that. 
but that is the yeah. problem. Like when you do shows like this, that like you'll do something with a character like is a little throwaway something in one episode. Cause you never expect that to come again later, but then later you're writing and you're like, Oh, well we need to actually do something with this. So then you introduce characters that should have been mentioned before that weren't and all this other stuff. Like Holt's sister, like he develops a good relationship with her again. But then, like, why wasn't she invited to Kevin and Holt's renewal of vows? Vows. Not vows. Vows. Yeah. Or his mom. Yeah, or his mom, for that matter. So it's just kind of funny how stuff like that happens in shows like this that do go for eight seasons, you know? Because they're little throwaway gags that just matter later. Or don't yeah. matter later, for that matter. You know? No, that is true. But, I mean, it's... I feel like the show is so... It's still so consistently funny, even if it has inconsistencies in it, that you don't really either, one, notice it until way later, or you just don't care, because you're like, it still works, it's still funny. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. So it, like The reason yeah. why I've noticed so many of these things is because I have watched this show so many times. <laughs> Same, yeah. Like, that's that. why I remember that throwaway joke with Boyle's sister, very like in season one. But they never mention his sister again. And as much as they mention Boyle's mom, yeah. you never see her. You know? Yeah, that's true. So, like, there's little things like that. And then, like, uh, with with a lot of those things, though, that is what kind of makes the show great, though, is the fact that when it wants to swing big, sometimes it does, you know? Like, when it wants to swing and get a bigger name to play a smaller part, they go for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like when you have J.K. Simmons' character uh, show up. Yeah. And that was a nice callback, though, because that actually does call back directly to when Holt was talking, like, I want to say in season one or season two or something like that, when Jake asked who the best cop he ever met was mm-hmm. uh, to Holt. Yeah. And he says that that name, is it Dibmeyer? Something like that. And Dillman. Dillman, yeah. He says Dillman. In that episode, and then like five or six seasons later, you have J.K. Simmons playing Dillman. Yep, that was great. You know, I feel I, like it's mentioned maybe like one other time in between there for some reason. Yeah, but either way, you're it's at least consistent in that way. You know. Yeah, I just like the fact that they kept it real with you know him saying Dillman was the best copy ever knew multiple times. And then you finally get to meet Dillman. You know? Yeah. No, that's very true. Yeah, I mean, and they did get some really good guest stars. I mean, you got J.K. Simmons. They had uh, Gina Gershon was on there. Um, uh, Craig Robert Robertson um, plays Doug Judy. 
I mean, they've got some really good just guest stars. Kira Sedgwick, you know, they, they've just got some really good guest stars that come on. I mean, even, um, oh, you have Jason Manzucas. Yeah, you have Danny yeah, Trejo Jason playing Manzuka. Rose's, uh, Rose's dad. You have Jason Manzucas playing, uh, Pimento. Yeah. And like you said, Lynn Manuel Miranda plays Amy's brother. You know, just like, uh, really good characters that are in one or two off episode or one off episodes, but they totally really stand out and they make the episode great. So it, they, they really do plan it well. And they, just the writing for all of these characters is so, I feel like thoughtful, even with like the guest characters, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, everything is so consistently funny for all the characters. Yeah. And I like how they're also willing to, uh, they, they were willing like, well, a lot of these shows that are kind of in the style or something like that, you know, you'll think of something like the office or parks and rec or Superstore. And then you have like something like Brooklyn nine, nine. And a lot of these shows are made by the same people too. Like one of the executive producers from the office and parks and rec also did Brooklyn nine, nine. And, and and with this, like the thing I kind of like the most about this show is unlike other shows done by those same people, this one didn't need a season or two to find its stride. Like the yeah, first that was season of my the, next point too. The first season of The Office and Parks and Rec were both short seasons. And both of them are drastically different from what the show becomes in every way, shape, or form. You know, the first season of The Office is rather like it's got some iconic scenes. You know, I do think that the uh, episode they did about race in the second season of The Office, as cringy as it is, I think is one of their best episodes because it's amazing that they went there when a lot of shows wouldn't. And it does bring up some things about race that other shows would be uncomfortable to talk about. Now, it does it in a very joking way, but... It did it in a very office way that kind of tackles it without looking at it head on. Whereas this show did tackle some of that stuff head on. You know, when you had Terry getting, you know, you know, almost arrested by another cop just because he thought he was just a black man in his neighborhood. And Terry was just walking around trying to find his daughter's stuffed animal that fell out of the car. You know? And then the guy was like, well, if I yeah. knew you were a cop, I wouldn't have done it. Well, and the whole point is, that shouldn't have been what mattered. You know? And, you know, and they're, they are willing to address some of those things more head-on in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and I do appreciate that. But, but back yeah. to what we were saying, though, is the first season of The Office, though, drastically different. A lot of the characterizations of the characters, especially Michael Scott, are way different 
than what you get in season two. Uh, you look at Parks and Rec. There was a little bit all over the place. And especially if you look at like Ron Swanson. Was not the same Ron Swanson you end up getting later on. And just in general. Andy. Yeah, Andy was a lot different. Um, like Andy was a very despicable character in the first season. And yeah. wasn't much better in the second. Uh, but even Anne was a lot different. Tom was a lot different in the first season. You know, like a lot of those characters were very different. And I don't think Parks and Rec really hits its stride until the last two episodes of season two. I think when you add Ben and Chris to the formula mm-hmm. and you get yeah, rid of the garbage character of Mark Randazzo or whatever the fuck his <laughs> name was. Randanowitz. Yeah, that. Randanowitz. When you get rid of the, that character and you bring in Chris and Ben, that show finds such a better stride. It's drastically better. Yeah. I recommend people when they haven't seen it, I always say, start at the very end of two or just start at season three, honestly. Uh, whenever I go back and watch Parks and Rec, I start at the second to last episode of season two and just watch from yeah. that point on. I rarely, different show from there on. rarely ever watch the first essentially first two seasons yeah agreed me too and but gladly uh brooklyn 99 never has that problem brooklyn 99 yeah does such a good job but it also is such a good job of creating such good characters that throughout eight seasons they're allowed to grow and change Mm -hmm. and become different people without it drastically changing the tone of the show or changing those characters at their core. You know, like yeah, the very first episode of Brooklyn nine, nine Terry says about Jake that he's one of the best detectives they have has the highest clearance rate, you know, loves puzzles. Like he loves, solving cases but the one thing he could never solve is how to grow up and while he all the way through season 8 still battles with massive immaturity you'd be hard to say that he didn't grow up by the end of it he has bits of immaturity but overall his character did grow up but never stopped being jake that was the important thing is he never stopped being jake yeah and and that's the thing is like you you love the fact that he's so immature because it just makes his character so funny and it works well with what they do with him in the show so there's the aspect of it where you're like i love that he isn't a grown-up Um, but then you get to see those little hints of him being a mature adult or being this kind, caring, good, loyal person and friend and all these, all these like glimpses of him being able to be mature and realizing that he's honestly just most of the time choosing not to be, you know, and, but it's not till the end. And I guess probably more so when he becomes a husband and then a father that's when he kind of starts to really 
you know, tone it down a little bit and still be super Jake about it. And they even talk in some episodes about it, like how he's like, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to get old. You know, I still want to be fun and crazy. You know, they even talk about it in the show and how that's like a worry that he has is that he's going to stop being fun, crazy, irresponsible Jake because he likes that he is that way. But at the same time, he also realizes he likes this other life that he has now where he is grown up a little bit. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, and and I am glad that they even openly addressed that in the final episode that, you know, that was the biggest thing from literally the first episode. And, you know, it's one of those things that I'm glad, but it, like I said there, I'm glad they were able to slowly do it throughout the show though. You know, I like that Santiago who is a perfectionist and is very controlling and like somewhat overpowering at times with those aspects is also able to grow throughout the show and not have everything her way and, you know, be able to fall in love with and accept somebody like Jake for who they are and, Mm -hmm. and what they can bring to the table in general and stuff like that. And while they do have some issues with his immaturity slash her controlling this, they balance each other very well. You know, as much as sometimes his immaturity is drastically a hindrance to things. She also loves that about him that he wants to find the fun in something, or he wants to find the, the humor in something he wants to, you know, find those aspects in things that she sometimes wouldn't be able to find, you know, but then I also love that he loves those things about her that, one of the things that was like a a rivalry between them, you know, and stuff like yeah. that. And he would make fun of her nerdiness and stuff like that. Then you have the episode when they ask when he decided to to ask her to marry him. And, you know, he brings up her finding a typo in the crossword puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, and that's when he decides, this is the one for me. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, not only is the show really good about um, just the consistency of the type of humor and the quality of the writing and the quality of the storylines in general and um, things like that, it's also really good with the dynamics between all the characters. I mean, they all kind of get their own moments together. And and I love when shows can do that, where they're able to show you, you know, this show isn't just the Jake show. You know, he's not the only good character or funny character. He's not the only one that has a connection to everybody else on the show. Everybody ends up having connections with everyone else. Like, I personally love Jake and Holt, Captain Holt's relationship. I think it's so great. It's clear from the beginning that like he looks up to him and he sees Holt as like a father figure. Um, So does Amy for that matter. But I think that 
their dynamic and just sort of how they sort of start to rub off on each other a little bit throughout the series as well. And I love the moments when Captain Holt is a lot more, you know, laid back and a lot more able to loosen up and have fun with Jake and with everybody else. And that's like the best version of Holt on the show. And I love it. Um, and, but also just, you know, there's those moments too, like even like a Charles and a Holt moment is good. Um, I also loved Gina and Holt. Everybody there had a really good fun dynamic with another person or with most other people. Charles and Jake was great, but Charles and Gina was great. And Rosa, like everybody really just had their own thing going, even when it wasn't all of them together. And I think that is what also shows that the characters are written so well and so fleshed out. And probably like the reason that you could tell that all of these people are most likely just really good friends offset too, or became that way because it just kind of shows through and bleeds through in their performances and their interactions with each other. Like that actual natural chemistry is there between all of them. And it's, and I love it because you can have an episode where it might be a more, you know, Terry and Jake centered episode, and it's going to be just as great as, you know, a Jake and Amy centered episode. Like it, it doesn't matter necessarily the dynamic of who the main people in the episode are going to be for that episode. It's going to be good and it's going to be a good storyline and it's going to just have a really good chemistry between any of the characters. And, and I just think that that speaks so much to the heart of the characters that they created and they wrote. And then the people that brought them to life, you know, all of these actors and, and the fact that it it just always gets me the fact that Rosa has an insanely different voice in real life. Stephanie Beatrice, like completely the opposite of who she is in Brooklyn nine, nine. And every time I hear her outside of the show, it just cracks me up because I'm like, I actually think at some times you might be the most like the the best actor on it or the one that's performing or having to do the most acting on this show because you are completely different. You don't even sound the same as you do in real life. And I respect that. And like that stuff like that makes me love Rose's character more because I just, you know, just like the, I think for Stephanie Beatrice specifically, she has to be such a different like person and she has to get out of her own who she is and really just be this person. I feel like everybody else sort of puts a little bit of themselves into their characters on the show. And she's kind of putting a completely different person out there. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. Like her voice in real life is typically the voice she uses to make fun of people. Yeah. On the show. She sounds more like Amy. Yeah. That's her real life voice. It's very high and it's almost like, I don't want to say giggly or something like that, but it's very bubbly. And yes, then you hear Rosa and it's not. And also she's also incredibly blind and can't wear contacts. And so when she's not wearing Mm. glasses, 
she can't see. So for most of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, she also can't see. It's why that sometimes when Rose is in disguise or something like that, that she wears glasses. Is oh, because the okay. actress would typically wear glasses. You know? Like yeah, then she just killed it. Like when she's in court for the trial and stuff like that, she's wearing glasses. You know? And it's because the actress would. So... It's little things like that. Like, yeah, by far, she is the one that is doing the most acting on the show. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was like a great little story about this was like her and oh, I can't think of her name that plays uh, Amy Santiago. They both, I think, tried out for Amy Santiago mm-hmm. because Rosa wasn't meant to be. Uh, Melissa Fumero, I think. Yeah. Uh, Rosa was, like, I think meant to be a white lady. And they just loved her so much that they just made her Rosa. They just adapted Rosa to her. You know? That's awesome. And, you know, both of them thought, like, when she found out that uh, Melissa got the role as Amy, she thought she wasn't going to get on the show. Because she was like, there's no way they're going to have two uh, Mm -hmm. Latinx lead uh you know like essentially lead actresses on a show and then she got the call to be rosa which like i said would they change the name too but like yeah like rosa was meant to be something else but they changed it to you know be able to have her because they just loved her audition so much and they thought that she could be just a different character and just not Mm -hmm. the amy santiago character and see, that's that's another thing, too, that I didn't even, like, I mean, I had thought about it, but forgot I wanted to say it was just how diverse the, the cast is as a whole. You're right. Like, they have a very diverse cast of main characters, and I think that's awesome, you know, and it's still relatable to all different types of people, and it's still just as funny, and all of the characters, whatever race or gender or you know, sexual preference they are, are all equally like important and lovable and relatable and made into actual human beings instead of just like the butt of the joke or something like that, that you might've seen like in earlier comedy shows, you know? And I love that there's that progression in the show and the fact that Captain Holt is gay and like, you know, everybody was so thrown off in what the first episode or second episode when he shows up, uh, first one, right. He's in the first episode. So, um, yeah, first one, you know, just, just like how nobody could call that he was gay in a sense because of his demeanor and he's so quiet and doesn't say anything about himself. And, you know, at the time what you would quote unquote, not think of as like a, you know, outwardly obvious quote unquote gay guy. And, and I love that they bucked that stereotype and they made this probably one of the most important, like, I guess you could say, yeah, probably like in television, like one of the most important characters for the fact that he is a lead character who is a black man who is also gay. And just, I I love that because he is just it, it they build his character so much in the way of you can't look at this show and nothing about 
you know, his, his character and who he is and his morals and his leadership and everything that people would look up to him for, it can't be taken away by the fact that he's also gay, which I think is something in earlier television and earlier days, like they wouldn't have it be one and the same, you know, they would have to make it to be where it's just so obvious that he's one or the other. You know what I mean? No, that's true. And one thing I do like about it is when the show first started, there wasn't as much of an issue with straight people playing gay characters as we would think of now, just because, you know, it'd be more important to have a gay person playing a gay person because it's more accurately represented and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so whenever they brought up like Rosa being bisexual, they actually did that because Stephanie Beatrice came out as bisexual. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they did that with the Rosa character was to add that representation whilst also not having somebody that's not bisexual just be bisexual for the sake of the show. You know, they changed that to be closer to the actors so that that way it would be a more accurate representation of things and stuff like that. Because, you know, if the show was made now and you wanted Holt to be gay, you would find a gay actor to do so. And so... But man, Andre Brower is so good at being Captain Holt. Oh, exactly. He's fantastic. Exactly. So most likely you would just have, you know, you would change something. But that would be the goal now. Uh, But like I said, this was, what, eight and a half, nine years ago? And that wasn't necessarily what things were doing. So it was just kind of big that they even had a gay character to begin with. Yeah. You know, but but it's one of those things that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the show being willing to adapt. And also, if it makes a mistake in an earlier episode, not repeating it. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. like not trying to change, or, you know, you know, by casting a straight man as Holt and Kevin, both of them are straight men, you know, they're able to change, like, they didn't need to change it because that was the established characters, but they didn't go out of their way, like I said, to just make some random character bisexual. You know, mm-hmm. they had someone that was a bisexual actress, so they went ahead and then changed that character to make it more accurate. And, you know, to add that representation without it just being for the sake of adding representation, it was more of it being more authentic to the way things are and being able to authentically portray it because of who your actress was playing that role. Yeah. And and I also like, I think again, that does still speak to the writing of the characters because Rosa didn't change at all her character of who she was when they wrote that into the show for her character. She was still the exact same person. And same thing with Captain Holt and Kevin. It's like, even if they, like, you could have them both have been, like, straight men that were just, you know, roommates or something like that. Like, whatever. You could you could have written them as straight men, and their characters would have, they, they would have acted the exact same. You know, it's just, like, it's it's who they are. It's their character. It's their demeanor and their personalities. Everything would have been the same about them. And I, I just love that because they weren't, like, you don't feel like they went around being like, hey, guys, why don't you act gay? 
You know what I mean? And like, I really appreciate that because it's just like, it just makes them more just like, oh, you're just a normal person like everybody else. And I love that they wrote those characters so well that it literally could have been like, they, you know, we don't know what their sexual preference is. Like, it's never addressed. And they would have been the exact same characters. No, that's very true. So, would you like to now talk about season eight? Yes. All right. Um. So, with season eight, like for me, it is the season I've watched the least, just because it literally just ended like a couple weeks ago. So I have not yeah. had as much time to massively rewatch it. Like I have a lot of the other seasons, especially because I am trying to, you know, watch all these other things and also keep up with watching a new movie or something every day. So I don't always get to go back and watch some of the stuff. I I have rewatched a couple of the episodes here and there, but I just haven't been able to watch it as much as I have the other seasons. Um, but with it, like uh, like I said earlier, uh, they did drastically change it with this because. You know, they went in and uh, rewrote the script following George Floyd and stuff like that. And so, spoilers for season eight uh, with this, but like, very first episode, like, Rosa quits being a cop, you know, because she couldn't be a part of the system that was something like that. And I, I'm not going to lie, of all the characters, Rosa is the one that would most likely do it. And that's one of the things I appreciate is it was very authentic to her character. And then there's, you know, an episode where Jake is assisting Rosa with one of her things or Rosa's assisting them. It's kind of a bolts thing. And, you know, Jake tries to say he doesn't have an agenda, but he does because he takes Rosa quitting as a personal attack on him. And then, you know, she calls him out on it because like, She's like, that's not what it is. This was a me thing and all this other stuff. And that, you know, Jake was still also exhibiting some of the behaviors of what I mentioned earlier with the whole, I am one of the good ones, you know, and then hear someone else say that when, you know, faced with direct evidence that, you know, cops harassed a woman and stuff like that. And so, you know, it's, it it shows that journey with things. And they also use this season to double down on something that Holt's been talking about for a while, which is, you know, actual police reform and changing things from inside to the heart of the NYPD, which has been something, mm. one of Holt's goals from the very beginning. But in light of what had actually happened in our country, it really allowed them just to focus on that aspect of Holt because... It's just been, it's kind of been just, you know, a character trait that gets mentioned here and there, but like, now it gave him a real reason to focus on that aspect of his character, because, you know, that's, there's lots of calls for police reform right now and stuff like that. And, you know, so really wanting to focus on stuff like that, that, you know, they were allowed Holt to do that, uh with it and so i thought that was really nice and the fact that like amy you know wanted to join him on that 
and really worked to do that and stuff. Like a lot of those aspects felt real and authentic to these characters because that was the other good thing is it wasn't like they changed these characters just for the sake of changing them because of what was going on in real life. These are all aspects of the characters that have been there for eight seasons of the show. Yeah. So it wasn't just something that they just wrote in for the sake of writing it in. It's very authentic to the show and the characters. And a lot of shows can't do that whenever they change because of real life shit. So I really appreciated those aspects of it. They just kind of tweaked the focus on some of those things. And, you know, I like the fact that they finally also acknowledge that these cops aren't infallible by having Jake arrest and harass somebody because he just thinks he's guilty. Even though, you know, it's because Jake wanted this case to be something more than it was. He wanted, you know, this person to be guilty. You know, he wanted these things. And part of it goes back to his immaturity with things. You know, it was a bomb threat on a bus or whatever. And to him, he couldn't accept the fact that it was just a nothing thing, you know. And it had to be a bigger deal. And that, you know, and it's part of his immaturity that led to that and that he gets suspended. And, you know, the police union tries to fight it. But because Holt told him and I talked to him, I was talking about how that would be the right thing to do be suspended have there be consequences because otherwise he's just learning the lesson and not having any consequences from it when there should be both you know and so jake openly goes out of his way to make sure that he gets suspended from it you know which then shows that growth from jake and shows that they wanted to show those aspects in light of what was going on in real life with those scenarios. So I really appreciated that aspect of it too. Plus I really thought that that was one of the most touching and funny ends of an episode in all of Brooklyn nine, nine. Like, yeah, it was, it was definitely like, I think one of the best parts of the whole series, but especially the last season, it was great. Like, I don't remember what it was, like, but, you know, like, when Holt was like, you don't want to see me when I get riled up or something like that. And then he starts huffy. talking. <laughs> what was it? Huffy. You yeah. don't want to see me huffy. Yeah, and so he's talking to McGillicuddy, the police union guy, and he starts getting huffy, and then Jake's like, oh, you got huffy, or you're getting huffy or something like that. And he's like, you're damn right I am, and they're, like, going, and then, like, Jake gets himself suspended because he doesn't like the fact that they're using loopholes to get out of it. And, you know, and then they have this heart warm, like heart to heart moment about, you know, like you did do the wrong thing, but I'm glad you're willing to take the consequences for it. And, you know, that was the right thing to do and all this other stuff. And then it ends with just like Jake going, oh man, you got so huffy. And Holt was like, I really did, you know, (laughs) and it's just that quick twist. But it doesn't take away from the serious note that was right before it. You Mm -hmm. know? And I think that that makes that joke hit even harder because they were able to have that heart-to-heart moment and then follow that up with a joke that shows that even though 
Jake is having to face consequences that are being imposed upon him by Holt. That they still They're have still that good. they still have that relationship because they both know it was the right thing. And that's what should yeah. happen. And I just like that it's just it's such a quick turn. And it's just so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that was probably one of the like the last times I genuinely laughed like super hard at a show. Like I mean I laugh, I chuckle, like and that's more of a me thing. I don't laugh a lot. Um more often than not, when I laugh, it's because of something I say. Because I do think I'm the funniest motherfucker ever. And so I laugh a lot at my own stuff. Um, if you need proof of that, just go listen to the Prisoners of Ghostland episode. Me and Jasner are kind of dying within the first 30 seconds. And it's just me talking. And I, like I said, I think I'm hilarious. Um, but with that, like, so I do chuckle here and there. I might smirk. And that's just how I react, you know, when something's funny. But I did. I genuinely laughed at that just because of how quick of a turn that is. And it was really funny. So I really did love that scene. Um, You know, like, and then they do the, like, the truest Boyle episode, which is a fine episode. Um, They do, they do one with Jake's arch nemesis, which I also love that he never mentioned arch nemesis. Or something like that, and then all of a sudden he has one. And <laughs> right. that also had one of the funniest things I've seen in Brooklyn Nine-Nine was at the beginning of that episode when they're talking about it, and he's like, oh, it's this guy. And Terry's like, well, what about this? And he's like, you didn't give a damn about that third lamp, Terry. He's like, you don't even know what it's like to have an arch nemesis. And then Terry looks him like dead in the eyes and just said, maybe that's because I solve all my crimes or I solve all my cases. <laughs> And then just Andy Sandberg just sits there and stares back at him. And everyone around him is just like, oh, fuck, he got you. And like everybody, even mm-hmm. Charles is looking at Jake like, oh, he got you. And he and Jake's just sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. And just, that was a fucked up thing to say, Terry. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I remember that. And that was just so good. Because that is the type of thing that weirdly Jake would be excited about. Would be having an arch nemesis <laughs> and being yeah, like, right. knowing these codes and all this other stuff. Not realizing that it just means that you've never caught this guy. But you know you've had enough of his cases to know his pattern and you still can't catch him. Is what it means. You know. And he, but he, you know it's just because of the way Jake's mind works. He's not seeing it as Oh, I haven't been good enough to catch him. He just sees it as, I'm so good, I have an arch nemesis. <laughs> right, so he just got put in his place. And that, that's something that I, I also love about, like, I I've, I thought Andy Samberg was funny on SNL, you know. Um, he was he was fine, you know, he was, he was funny. But this show made me be like, man, he is so funny. And And it was kind of like those just really quick responses or things that he would say back to what other people would say to him. Like one of my favorite things that I remember in, <laughs> in one of the episodes is um, I think Holt is trying to tell him, like he, I think he's telling him like, you know, you can't have access to your phone or something like that. And, and he's like, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, read a book or something like that. And he goes, 
go to hell. <laughs> like, just really offended that he told him that. And just those really quick, like, one-line things that he says back to people. and But just also knowing most of the time that he's, like, being ridiculous anyway. But he'll still say it and still, like, get his quip in because that's just his immaturity. And, but it's always so funny and plays so well with literally anything anyone else says to him. Oh, yeah, and I love how Charles plays into all of it. Like... Like his yes man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I do like how sweetly sometimes it's reciprocated the other way. And, like, Charles is just so used to it being one way that... And it's not necessarily in a malicious way. It's just, like, Charles is just always in awe of Jake. You know? Mm-hmm. So much so that he lets Jake do the things that get the awe. You know? So he didn't even get the opportunities to do so. But one of my favorite scenes in in everything was the Dillman episode when, you know, everybody's being fantastical about this stuff, especially Dillman and Jake. They're like, Charles just sits there in the background and solves the case. Right. That no one else is doing. (laughs) And then at the end when he's like, oh, yeah, no, we already caught him. And like the elevator opens and he's like already arrested. And Jake gasps. And he was like, you know, thrown off by it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like, oh, that was such a great gasp. He's like, no, that was for you, Charles. And then Charles gasps. He gasps at his gasp. <laughs> yeah. You know, and stuff like that. And I yeah. just thought it was like, I just, as weird as it is, it's just a perfect little Charles and Jake moment. Just like in yeah. the Nutriboom episode, whenever they're you know, going to that. And he's like, Charles doesn't even give a fuck about getting any of his money back. It's just to help Jake get his money back to save the honeymoon. Right. And he's like, well, let's go do this. And he's like, for the honeymoon and the honeymoon only. Like he just cares so little about his own money that it's just about Jake. But like, you know, and then in this stuff, like, you know, in the final season when there's like that that scare with possible cancer with Charles and stuff and the, those moments they have when they're sitting there in the warehouse and they're talking about it are just so genuine. And then like when Charles is so hurt that he finds out that Jake's going to retire and yeah. didn't tell him about it and stuff. And like, you know, even though Jake had this whole thing planned out to you know talk to him about it and stuff like that that like it's not the fact that he's retiring that hurts Charles it's the fact that he just didn't know about it yet and it just so genuinely wounds him mm-hmm. you know because there's like you know Charles is so willing to sacrifice himself or his own time or his own stuff just for the sake of Jake and his happiness and stuff like that. The, like, mm-hmm. the fact that he wouldn't know that and stuff. And, you know, I, and I like the way they talk about it to get back on the same page and stuff. And, you know, I just think that that's a genuinely good relationship that it plays into both characters' yeah. strengths. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I do. 
I, I think if I, I, if I'm most like any of the characters, I feel like I'm Charles, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say, but I think it's just that relentless, like for one, like people pleasing aspect of him, but that like really just always trying to like be that like encouraging, like, yes. Oh, you're so great. You're awesome. Like totally. I get you. Like really just like, you know, he's just that guy for his friends. And just like really kind of sensitive to things, right? Like with Jake, where he's like, I'm your only friend. I'm your best friend. And then just like goes out of his way to let everybody they know, know that like they're best friends. (laughs) And it's just funny because I, I just, I have been Charles in situations like that before. And I'm just like, I get you, Charles. I totally get you. Oh, no, I think you've got elements of Terry, because Terry's very much a people pleaser, too. <laughs> he, Yeah, he, he definitely is. I mean, Amy, Amy is a little bit, but kind of not, only, not necessarily in the same way. Only when it comes to Holt, though. Yeah, Holt or authority in general, but mostly Holt. True. But yeah, no, that's... Um, I, I could see that too. Yeah, Terry is <laughs> he's very much like that. Um, but yeah, it's and, and I do agree though because I think like I, I do appreciate how they approached this season because of those serious things. And then even the the storyline of, you know, Holt and Kevin are split up and separated. And that's that's the worst. Like Holt and Kevin are great, you know? And I was like, no, this better not end with them not together, you know? And, um, I just really, even that moment too, like when he's confiding in Amy about it and saying, you know, Hey, we've separated and all this stuff and just his really brief, but really sincere and heartfelt. Like it's been a tough year to be a black man and a cop, you know? And that's really all he had to say. And she, she understood, you know what I mean? And even just moments like that in that last season, you know, it just, I appreciated how they approached it because they still kept their humorous tone and their, their good, smart comedy throughout the season. But they had to add those elements of the series because too much happened since the last season for them not to have that added in, like you were saying earlier, it's like, you just, you can't not bring up a lot of these things that have happened. And yeah, it's, it's just, they, they approach it. Honestly, I think in the best way you really can approach that type of thing based on what this show is about. And I think that that gave me, I already loved the show and had respect for just the high quality of like, just the humor and the the jokes that always land and all of that, but just more respect for how seriously they took it and how much they really wanted to honor the show and the characters and the people that love watching it by addressing those things and not trying to avoid it and not, you know, exactly what you were saying, like not avoiding it, not just trying to be like, Oh, we're always the good cops. We never make mistakes. And legitimately all of the last season is just, all this change happening and pretty much they're having to be faced with all of these, all of these things and put in the middle of it, 
you know, making it as humorous as they can for the show's sake, but you know, they're, they're put in the middle of it because if they are cops, they are going to be in the middle of that. And they didn't go around that. And I appreciated that. So, but I will, I will say that one thing about the, I, I, and it was a shorter season. So I understand why they couldn't really elaborate on some of the things that they, that I would have liked to have seen. I honestly would have liked a little bit more Jake and Amy scenes or moments in the season. Like they do a lot of it where they're discussing their future and their kid and like, you know, who's going to take care of who and you know, stuff like that. Um, they do address, but I, I don't really remember too many of those like goofy, silly, like funny moments between them in this last season as much. So that brings me to what I was going to ask is, as far as a series finale goes, what do you think of season eight of Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Like, do you think it works well as a season and series finale? Or is it just kind of a good season, lackluster series finale? Like, how do you think it works as an overall into this TV show? Honestly, I really, I thought, especially in the last episode, like all the things that they do and just kind of keeping to the heart of, you know, things that we all love so much about the show. Um, but knowing, obviously, they have to find a way to end this. It, it was perfect how they, you know, made it like a heist episode. I think that was on point. That's exactly what they should have done. Um, you know, I, I do, th- sadly, just as a side note, I, I do kind of, I'm sad that Charles didn't win this season. I really thought he was going to win the the last heist, but um, that aside, I in general, I, I actually think it was one of the best series finales that I have seen of a TV show. Um, I think Parks and Rec did a really good job, and then I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine did a really good job of showing you that, like, yeah, while it's ended, you, you kind of see a little bit into the future, right, of you know, where, where these people are a year later and, you know, the, the things that they have done and just sort of where they're at in their lives, but also that they are still all friends and they're still all being silly together and doing their heists and things like that. And, you know, even that line that Jake says about like, well, we're in each other's lives forever. So get used to this. And, and I just love that because that's also a very Jake thing to say, but that I, I like, especially for shows like this and for how serious this whole season kind of was in general. I, I love that they really ended it on a very happy, positive note where while you're sad, it's over, you know, you could just like imagine like, you know what, if they did other seasons that, you know, I could see this being how everything still played out. If they had done a longer season for the final season, or if they had a few more seasons, they would have found a way to kind of make it end in the same tone. And just because it was a shorter season or their last season, they didn't, they didn't um, like slack or they didn't get lazy in the writing or the storytelling towards the end. I think it got a little rushed just because it was shorter, but it was all the way through consistently great and thoughtful writing and stories. And yeah, so I, I actually put it up there as one of my favorite finale endings, to be honest. 
I agree. And what I, about you? I'm I'm very glad that they ended it with uh with a heist. I think, you know, that's that's the only real proper way to end this show is with a heist episode. You know, and I really oh, did yeah. think Charles was gonna be the one to win it. I I I still don't know how I feel about Hitchcock winning it. Um, I know that's a slap in the face. Yeah, I just I thought because they have gone out of their way before and so many times to talk about how just good of a detective Charles is, even if he isn't as flashy as everybody else, he's just a grinder and he will get it done. Mm-hmm. And like they they don't even have him come close to winning it and stuff. And I know, you know, I really wish they had. I just think that that would have been just the greatest way. But I also like the fact that, like, they do it one year later and, you know, Charles is still in the force and, like, you know, and Terry's the captain and yeah, everybody comes back great. to just do the heist because they're like, do you think we were going to let it end with Hitchcock winning? Like, <laughs> you know. true. Yeah, yeah. And I guess maybe that was a good segue into doing a year later of like, nope, it's not going to end that way. Exactly, and that everybody's going to keep coming back every year on Halloween to do the heist and stuff like that. Like, it just, that still seems kind of fitting with them. Because, like, Mm -hmm. you know, say had Jake had won again, and they're like, oh, you're like, you know, you won the heist this many times. Like, Holt would then not be satisfied. Amy would not be satisfied. Like, they wouldn't be able to handle the fact that Jake Mm -hmm. won and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So they would still find a reason to come back because oh just that's the nature of the game. I am just sad that Kevin wasn't a main force in this heist just for the sheer fact oh, that like that's true. in the season six heist, when is the Cinco de Mayo heist that Kevin's like because he got like, you know, dragged into it unknowingly. And he was very much like Oh, I'm going to take you all down now. I would just love to have seen him just show up randomly in the middle of the heist and be like, and just, that would be funny. Take, you know, just right in the middle of it, just out of nowhere and stuff. Like that just should have been how it was just because that is just such the way it should have gone just because of how he was like dead set <laughs> on being a factor in the heist next time. Yeah. Or even just be, yeah, being a part of it. Like, not even winning, but yeah, just being a part of it would have been really funny. Exactly. Like, Holt thinking and, he had And a it. good way to... Mm, go ahead. Just, like, Holt thinking he's winning or something like that. And then he's like, wait, where to go? And Kevin just walks in. He's like, oh, are you looking for this? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it would have been a nice way, too, to, like see a little bit more of that like funny side of Kevin since so much of I mean even in the episodes when they're fighting and they're separated he's still funny in those episodes but just like a a funny episode of them like back together and in their normal state of Holt and Kevin um well especially because the last time you see Kevin he's like going undercover to break Holt out of that house right (laughs) exactly yeah like it's just like Ever since then, I've just been really wanting to do this heist or just something, you know what I mean? That would have been really a good touch on that. 
Um, I also do think that Gina's return is underutilized. I think they should have done a little bit more with her coming back. Um, I mean, again, they only have so much time, but you know, Gina was great. Like she was a great character. She was great with all of the high stuff and she was a big part of it, but I just feel like, you know, just a little bit more like she was a part of the whole story instead of just like, Hey, we're going to randomly have you show up to help us with the heist and then peace out. Like I just, you know, something more about her or just her talking more with them outside of doing the high stuff, I think would have been good. Cause she always had such a funny, um, rapport with everybody and especially with Holt <laughs> and Amy. Um, so I just really kind of wish that they would have used her a little bit more in her return. Um, and also Pimento. I mean, he was in it for like two minutes and Pimento is a crazy, insane man. And I just feel like they should have had him do just slightly more at the end as well. But again, it's just being nitpicky. Because, I mean, you know, it's not a perfect ending, but, I mean, they did as much as, they packed everything they possibly could into that finale, um, but, yeah, it was just, those were just a couple of things I wish would have been done a little bit differently. Oh, I do agree, but at the same time, they were trying to cram so much right. into, you know... I mean, was it their call to do only that many episodes or was it, you know, the, they told him like, Hey, if you're finishing out the show, this is how many episodes you have to do it in. Do you know? They typically only get a couple of, like they were only going to get like 10 or 12 episodes anyway. And I think that that's just how they decided okay. to do it. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was like, man, that's a bummer. I mean, even like one or two more episodes would have been totally good. But yeah, I I get why. I mean, they packed so much. And even that like funny, I guess, you know what? I, I take it back. I guess the, the thing of Amy setting up Jake to make him make it feel like he was in a coma for so long. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, I guess I forgot about that, but I don't know. I just feel like there was less Jake and Amy screen time in this season. No, there kind of was because anytime they were around each other, it was just about their kid. Like, right. Those were the elements that they would bring in, you know? Mm hmm. Outside of yeah. that, they didn't do anything with the exception of the heist episode that was remotely just like just Jake and Amy. Mm hmm. Oh, and also Bruce Willis definitely should have done an appearance. That would have been perfect. <laughs> Yeah, but Bruce Willis is also the type of guy that just, like, shows up on set, does something for an hour, and leaves. Like, he's apparently miserable <laughs> to work with these days, so. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. Pretty much any movie he's They actually should have done now. it as a surprise. Yeah. Like, not tell him, not tell Jake that he was going to show up. <laughs> and then just, like, have him show up in a scene without telling Jake. That would have been amazing to see. Like, what were you saying? Well, I think if they were going to do it, they should have had him just run into Bruce Willis on the street and him like have to <laughs> blow off. Like he's freaking out because he's seeing Bruce Willis, but he can't like stick around and talk to Bruce Willis because he has to go because <laughs> of the heist. Like right. something like that. But 
like apparently with Bruce Willis, like anything he's in nowadays, all he does is show up for like a day. And if he can't film his scenes in a day, that's all you get. Like that's all he does. Oh man. That's a bummer. Yeah. Is he just a grumpy old guy or it just can't pretty much. He just wants to make money. <laughs> can't do it anymore. Like, yeah, he just wants to get paid a lot. And like I said, he shows up for a day and that's it. That's all he does. I know he did a few, um, he did a few guest appearances on friends one season. And I remember hearing that he actually did those scenes for free or those episodes for free because he was friends with Matthew Perry, who he lost a bet to. And I guess like the bet was, you know, I don't even remember what the bet was, but something about like, if you lose, you're going to guest star on these scenes, like on these episodes for free. And then I don't remember the other, but I was like, Oh, that sounds like a, like a pretty cool thing. Like that. He's a fun guy that he would do something like that. But that was more in his prime, not even his prime, but his less old self. So maybe not anymore. Oh yeah. Apparently now he's just a grumpy old man. That's all he is. He's like mid sixties or something, right? Yeah. No, no, he's in his seventies. Oh, is he? Oh man. Yeah. He's definitely in his seventies. It's a real grumpy old 70 year old man. Yeah, pretty much. And that's all he is. Um, so now with this, what do you think are your three favorite Brooklyn Nine-Nine episodes? And he was born in 1955. So what does that make him? Oh, I guess oh, he is only 65, um, 66, right? Okay, yep, 66. Yeah, he's 66. So I was wrong. Okay, almost 70. Yeah. Almost a 70-year-old man. Um, you said favorite three episodes? Yeah, what are your overall three favorite episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Man, it's just, oh, it's so hard to choose. Like, there's so many great ones that are just overall great. And then there's so many episodes where there's incredibly great moments in it. So it's really hard to say. And obviously, like, all of the heist ones are great and sort of like a different class of the show because that's that's their thing those halloween heist or the heist ones are just obviously that was their their go-to like thing for their show so i'm gonna i'm gonna choose ones not from that because obviously they're all great so one of mine is gonna be maybe a surprise one but it's going to be in um, season seven. I don't remember which episode, but it's the episode called Ransom. And it's the one where Cheddar gets kidnapped. Um, I don't remember what episode it is, but um, but it's, it's, it's like actually 12th. maybe the, yeah, it's almost the, it's the one before the last episode of the season, I think. But yes. yeah, it's, um, yeah, I love that because like it's just so fun and like just seeing <laughs> just seeing Captain Holt turning into John Wick and him not even know who John Wick is was like the greatest thing ever and <laughs> just like mispronouncing is just like your friend John Wick's and like all this stuff like 
it just was the funniest thing and just like how hardcore he got about saving Cheddar, his dog, and just like the elaborate, just everything they did to rescue him. And, um, you know, Jake just trying to guess like, you were in a movie? Like, what movie was it? And he won't tell him and it's driving him crazy. And he's like trying to guess all of these different cop movies that it would be. And just the whole thing and him just going crazy um, and just destroying the guys who took Cheddar at the end. Everything about that episode just makes me laugh so hard at like how intense and serious everything they do is. And just in such a humorous way over this little dog Cheddar, you know, it was just so well done. And I, I just love, I just loved the idea of Holt is John Wick and he doesn't even know who John Wick is. Like everything he was doing was exactly what he would do. And it was amazing. Okay. So, that's so that one. is, yeah, that's my first one. There's just a few that I'm trying to decide between, but I think, um, I do think another one that I would have to say is a favorite is the game night episode. I want to say that's season six, um, which is basically the episode when Rosa decides to come out as bisexual to her parents. And I love that episode because again, it really just toes that very excellent line of serious subject matter, but still a very funny episode at the same time. And I I love how they did it and just how she was so nervous to tell her parents and just her response to them. And, but I think just the, the whole episode, how she kind of makes Jake like sort of, he's kind of tagging along for this whole thing as like support for her. And I, I, I just love his support of her the entire time. And, you know, you just see how, upset he is for her when they're not as accepting of her at first and then how he just goes along because he's just trying to be a good friend and then i i just i and it was just probably also the greatest rosa and jake episode that i've seen and um just that and then the whole the whole idea of it is you know rosa has game night with her parents every week and because they're still not you know, super okay with her being bisexual, they decide to hold off on doing their game nights. So at the end of it, um, Jake sets up this fun thing for her to have her, her work family or her other family come over and do the game nights with her every week. And I just, I loved the sentiment of it. It was so heartfelt. It was so really sweet and well done. And just the, the overall, how the whole thing ends is it's so great. And then that moment that Rosa and Captain Holt have where they're talking about like how hard it is to, you know, come out and be who you are sometimes, you know, but just the greatness that comes from just being yourself in the world, like that whole speech and thing that he gave her at the end is one of the greatest things (laughs) in the show, honestly. So Everything about that episode is so, so good. And I just like, if I go back and watch episodes, like that's one that I usually 
right away. I'm like, oh, I love this episode. So I want to go back and watch it. So that's going to be my second one. Oh, I got to, I got to make it a good one for the third one. They're all good. So, you know, I think, um, man, it's a tough call. Like it's either between the honeymoon episode or the safe house episode. Like those are two really great episodes. And I'm trying to think which one. Oh man. I think I'm going to go with, um, I think I'm going to go with honeymoon, the honeymoon episode where Jake and Amy are on their honeymoon and Captain Holt happens to be there (laughs) at the same place they are. It's just everything about it is hilarious because it's again, a very not normal character for Captain Holt to be where he's just like feeling sorry for himself. And he's kind of like invading on their time together and kind of ruining their honeymoon, but not intentionally. And kind of like what you were saying, Amy, you know, cares so much what Holt thinks and like, so does Jake. So they don't want to like tell him like, Hey, we want our own time together (laughs) and all this. And, you know, he's wearing like these fun, like tropical shirts and he's just completely like vacation. Holt is a very different person and sad vacation. Holt is a very different person. So it was just a really hilarious dynamic of Holt being that person because he's never that person and doing it like in front of the two people who look up to him the most. So I, I just think everything about that was really funny too. And, and how Amy sort of had to be the, the one to, you know, get Holt back up and on his feet and just kind of they, how they switched roles all together on their vacation. So that was just a really hilarious. And like all of the, honeymoon events that they have planned together and then he's just kind of like a third wheel on all of them and it's like clearly a romantic thing that it's supposed to be it was just very very funny so i think i'm going with that but safe house is a very 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 close runner-up so for me i've actually got two episodes in uh I believe it's season three. Yeah. Two episodes on my list are in season three. Uh, the first one is the Oolong Slayer episode. Um, Ooh, yeah. Mainly just because I love the dynamic of Holt and Peralta, like coming together to solve this case and like behind everybody's back and everything like that. Like I love the whole, um, there's a scene Whenever, you know, he's got the file and nobody wants to believe him that it's the Long Slayer. And he takes it to Holt and Holt just looks at it and instantly goes to the Long Slayer. Like he knew exactly who it was also, just like Jake did. <laughs> and then like, and as they're going through and then he's like, um, what is it? I mean, he's like, how awesome slash not cool is that? And then Holt says, yes, that's very awesome slash uncool. Uh, you know, because they're like excited that it's a case, but then they're like, but he's a serial killer. Like he does kill people, you know? And so I like the dynamic of they're going behind the vulture and wunches back with everything. And then in the end, Jake does like the big thing of 
doesn't take credit for it so that he can go to the chief of D's and get, you know, Holt and everybody reinstated, mm-hmm. you know, back yeah. on the nine, nine together and stuff like that and get the vulture out of there, you know, like he plays the politics game just to get everybody together, you know, so that, uh, you know, him and Amy can be together and Holt will be back and all this stuff. And I really liked that aspect of Jake that, well, he does want the credit and wants everybody to think he's great and all this other stuff. Like he cared more about bringing essentially the family back together than not. And so I really liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really liked the se- uh, season finale for season three, which is Greg and Larry. Um, and it's mainly coming from what we were talking about earlier. Uh, when Jake's like, um, I'll tap the comp- uh, funky cold Medina when I'm back. And they're like, and Holt's like, how would I ever know what that is? And then he hears some knocking. And he goes, oh, that sounds funky. And then, then they spill that, you know, it was all just a plan and stuff like that. And he's like, you know, I said earlier in the episode, he's like, you don't work with Jake Peralta for three years and not know the funky cold Medina and him. And they do that little thing back and forth where they're reciting the lyrics to it. And then right after that, Peralta goes, no rehearsal. And apparently that was ad lib. <laughs> yeah. He just said that because they had done that on their first try. And so that was literally him just being Andy Samberg at that point, just saying no rehearsal, but it works <laughs> so well as a Jake Peralta line that, Oh yeah. It, it's still in the episode, you know, even though he technically broke character for it, it's, it still fits in character and it's, it's a great little moment in that scene. Uh, it just gets me every time. I, I just love that episode and in general, how they, you know, they trick the bad guy into thinking that, you know, he was going to get killed. So that's how they got the information and all that stuff. Like I really liked so much about that episode. Um, my third though will be, from season five, it's the box. Uh, it's an episode with guest star Sterling K. Brown, and Sterling K. Brown yep. is playing essentially the quote unquote bad guy of the episode. And I just love that episode. Like you do get into what I was talking about earlier about what are some of the constitutional or ethical limits of how long you can hold somebody, but the idea of this was that they were just bringing him in to talk. And they can do that as a like material witness thing for like the night, you know, and stuff like that. And I do think that that's way more reasonable than 72 hours, but and so there, there, there's that aspect of it, but it's him and Holt. It's Jake and Holt pretty much just them for the whole episode with the, like a little, little bit of Gina and just a smidge of Charles at the end. Uh, and it's just them interrogating this guy. And this guy is incredibly smart and plays them against each other. And they fall for it all the time. And they're getting all wound up and all this other stuff. And then Jake cracks it. And, you know, uh, he makes a joke earlier in the movie. Like, I'm going to get or earlier in the episode. He's like, I'm going to get him to confess. And you're going to follow it up with three ODMs. And, you know, Ray gets on the <laughs> phone because he's canceling his plans with Kevin. Which also has one of the most subtle jokes in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, when he's talking to Kevin, mm-hmm. his husband, and he's canceling their plans, 
he's like, well, the tickets are in my name, implying that Kevin should still go to the opera. And he's like, oh, the tickets are under my name, R-A-Y. And he starts spelling out Raymond Holt. <laughs> like his husband yeah. wouldn't know his name. But it's just such a Holt thing yeah. to do to be precise and clear and give the information. And so I, it's one of those subtle jokes that just is happening in the background. Like, I didn't notice it the first few times, and I've loved this episode ever since I saw it. It's just a subtle little thing happening in the background that just gets me every time. But then at the end, like, Holt, he gets oh, the so confession, funny. and, you know, Holt does his, and like, says, oh, damn, three times. Jake walks out going, and that's three oh, dams. And they walk out, and then him and Holt are standing on the street talking, and he's like, well, how'd you get him to confess? And he's like, well, I knew that he needed to think, like, he needed us to know he was smarter than him. And it's like, so if I made it sound like he was lucky, that it, not he's not smart, he's just lucky, that, you know, that would drive him nuts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like, you know, he needed to impress us. And, you know, Holt follows it up with, oh, it sounds like someone else we know, because that was kind of the theme with Jake in that episode, is Jake needed Holt to know how smart he was how great he was you know it's like because you know holt calls him out and he's like oh you just need everybody to know how smart and great you are he's like no i need you to and that's what gives him the you know the light bulb and stuff you know so holt follows it up with the joke of oh it sounds like someone else we know and then jake just nonchalantly goes yeah kevin and then they both just start mm-hmm. laughing and it's just it's, it's just a nice little sweet moment, but it's also really funny. It's a genuinely yeah. good moment between those two. And then that's when Charles walks up and uh, he's like, oh, hey, guys. And they're like, oh, never mind. It's morning. Time to go to work. <laughs> but like even from the very beginning of that episode, when he walks in, and he has to talk to Gina and he's in the room and Holt's talking to him. He's like, yeah, I even had him, you know. He was uh, greeted by Gina. And he's like, well, what yeah. did you have her do? And he goes, be yourself. And he goes, that poor son of a bitch. yeah man that is a good episode and i forgot like one of my (laughs) one line that always makes me laugh so hard every time i hear it um i also really like his whole like notebook flip that he does (laughs) trying to like prove that he has like all of the information and stuff um when he asks holt like something about like who are the who was the craziest or who was the most dangerous criminal you ever caught and he goes Connie Buttons. <laughs> and I laugh so hard every time at that because it's just not at all what you expect him to say. Yeah, because even Jake's like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> he's like, all right. <laughs> he's like, I don't even know who that is. It's just like he says it so seriously and aggressively, and it's like the most, like, un. Like, it's just not a name that you are ever, like, threatened by at all. It's just so funny. Well, and then they're like, he's talking about like, what were you doing in the cab? He's like, watching Fallon highlights. And he's like, what was happening? He's like, slow jamming the news. Who was the guest? And I want to say it's like Rachel McAdams or Amy Adams or somebody. Amy Adams, yeah. Yeah, it's Amy Adams. And then Holt just looks at Jake because he has no idea who it is. Jake's like, yeah, it's a famous person. Like, that lines yeah. up. <laughs> and when he gets like super worked up about the... um dentist or doctor versus not doctor is that what it was yes it's uh (laughs) 
what is the name of it? It's the I guess the study of language technically, but it's like how things get their names and it's people with a PhD are doctors mm-hmm. because they have a doctorate degree and that's why they're called doctors. Uh, yeah. Medical practitioners co-opted doctor from that, you know, because he's like dentists aren't doctors. He's like, well, we go to medical school. And so they have that back and forth. But like, he just realizes that Holt can't stand, you know, something else being called a doctor than people with doctorates. <laughs> Mainly because Kevin has a doctorate. It's like the most, yeah, it's like the most worked up he gets in the whole like interrogation. <laughs> and he was like, apparently that's a trigger for you. And he's like, yeah, I didn't even know. <laughs> but like, you know, there's like just all these subtle little things in it. Like, I like how there's randomly, and it plays a lot in this episode, but that Jake is planning to have an Adams family rap in his wedding vows. And it's just a little <laughs> joke that comes and goes throughout the season. And yeah, and it's, there's no real basis in it. It's never been like, Oh, Jake's a big, you know, Adams family fan Adam's or something family like that. Person. It's just the season five leading up to the wedding. They just constantly have jokes about the Adams family, like randomly that he's going to do an Adams family rap in his vows. He never does one. And I was very sad. I wanted an Adams family rap in those vows so bad. Right. So Man, was, that that is a good episode though. It is. It's the best. Plus Sterling K. Brown. I love Sterling K. Brown. Especially when he plays He's cocky great. assholes, uh, Sterling K. Brown. I absolutely love it. <laughs> so uh is there anything else that you want to talk about with Brooklyn Nine Nine? No, um, I think we covered a lot of it. Just overall, I'm just, I'm so glad that I started watching this show because it's really become like a go-to, you know, funny show for me. If I just want something funny on, it's just easily one of my first things that I'm like, all right, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And no matter how many times I watch it or watch seasons or certain episodes, it's still just as funny every time. So it's very it's very enjoyable. It's, it's so good. And it's honestly, I think it's actually an important show that might sound crazy, but it's very important, especially for like how they approach police reform and, you know, things like that. And, um, it's just really, really well done, thoughtful and just really smart humor. And it's what made me like love Andy Samberg. Like he, he was just kind of okay for me before, but now I'm like, He's really good. He's got the chops to be serious, but he's just actually very funny on his own, you know, being kind of just himself in a character. So, yeah, it's um it's an excellent show. I agree. Like I said, I I watched it just cuz I had seen some clips. It's weird cuz I saw clips from like season 4. So like I wasn't quite I didn't even really have any context with some of it. A lot of the clips I had seen were mm-hmm. from the heist episode where he does uh, pro- uh, propose to Amy. I just kept seeing clips of that. I had no context of anything. I was like, well, fuck mm-hmm. this. I just want to watch it now. So then I started watching it. And then, like, it was, like, hooked. And. Yeah. Watched so much of it. Like, I have watched so much of it. I've watched the entire series multiple, multiple, multiple times. 
Yeah. But on that note, thank you guys for listening to this special bonus episode of the Simmonslayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.simmonslayers.com or Facebook where Simmonslayers podcast or Twitter and Instagram where cinema underscore slayers or Simmonslayers pod on TikTok where I've done 60 plus days straight of doing a new movie or sometimes like a series finale or a season finale of, of a TV show or miniseries or something like that. But for the most part, it's mainly all movies. Um, so check all that out. Give us a five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, tell your family, tell your uh, friends, tell your family's friends, and tell your friend's family. And most of all, tell those dear sweet moms, because you know moms love Sterling K. Brown. And Sterling K. Brown had a great episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so they'd especially dig that. Shout out to Plug Migo and Mundo Cho for our theme song and logos, respectively. And as I always in the podcast, even when he's not here, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. Cinema Slayer. Oh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you'll be missed. Indeed.